Welcome to Continuous Plays, The Art of Slaying, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective featuring Brian Thomas. This is probably my favorite Buffy episode of the whole series. And Jay Newcastle. I mean, seriously. Okay, I got real problems. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the copyright of Fox Television Studios, and any discussion of the characters, episodes, or music is strictly for entertainment purposes only. Welcome to The Art of Slaying, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective. I'm Jay. And I'm Brian. And we're here to talk about Season 4, Episode 13, The Eye and Team, written by David Fury. Buffy, now knowing about the initiative and vice versa, is given access and a debriefing by Professor Walsh and Riley. Willow worries that Buffy's not only getting involved with something she knows nothing about with the initiative, but she's also not making enough time to see her friends usually going off to spend time with Riley or being paged away by the initiative. Buffy and the initiative are sent on patrol with Riley to capture, not kill, a Polgara demon for Walsh. Afterwards, Buffy and Riley spend their first night together and, unbeknownst to them, are watched via camera by Professor Walsh. Walsh decides that Buffy is a threat to her plans, and she sets a trap to have Buffy killed. Walsh assumes Buffy is dead and tries to explain this to Riley, but just then, Buffy appears on a video feed behind them, telling Walsh that her plan has failed and that she's about to learn what a slayer really is. Riley storms off, and Walsh goes to room 314 to check on her pet project, Adam, an assembled part-human, part-android, part-demon-looking creature. And while she's talking to him behind her, he wakes up and stabs her to death with the arm weapon from the Polgara demon that she surgically implanted in him the day before. And that is the episode summary, Brian, of the I and Team. Ain't no I and Team, Brian. Ain't no we either. <laughs> That's what Leon says. That's true. Oh, man. Uh, lots to talk about here with this. We finally get to know what 314 is. We'll get to that. Um <laughs> There's uh there's an overriding theme here that I I picked up on. I don't know if you see it this way or not, but Buffy's need to impress the initiative, uh, really the superiors, like Riley's superiors. I almost read that like it's when you meet your college boyfriend or girlfriend's parents for the first time. You know? Yeah, I think that sounds about right. I mean, she wants to she wants to be impressive to not only the team but especially to Professor Walsh, who's not only a teacher of hers, who she, I guess, admires, but also is kind of like a mother figure to Riley in this whole thing. Or her, it's his superior officer, I guess you could say, and so she needs to look good for them. She's a little worried going into the initiative and everything about whether she'll fit in or not, so she's trying to make a very good first impression, and you're right, it's kind of like the first time you meet the parents of someone you're dating, you kind of want to make sure you fit in, and you kind of want to uh, put your best game face on and make sure they like you. Exactly. And Buffy, of course, it doesn't know how to do anything but be Buffy. So she shows up to a debriefing dressed in a skirt and halter top and everybody else is in their commando gear. And so she automatically looks out of place. And then she continues to ask questions. Why? Well, why are we doing this? Well, why don't we just stab the thing? Well, why, 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 why? And what she realizes that Buffy hasn't had any real structure from an authority figure in a long time. Even Giles kind of laid off of that after most of season two, you know, particularly last year after they both quit the council. She's pretty self-reliant. And so this whole military bit, doesn't really jive with her. And I think that's neat because her and Riley are having conversations and he says, and eh, the military, you just follow orders. You don't ask questions. And all Buffy does is ask questions. Yeah. And he, obviously everyone else is kind of looking at her like, what is wrong with this girl? And 
you can tell Walsh and uh, the other doctor are getting a bit annoyed by the whole thing because their soldiers are not trained to ask. They just do, like you said. And Buffy's not that way. She wants to know what the mission is, the details about it, what her whole goal of the mission is, and everything else before going out there. And so it's it's kind of fun to see how everyone else is looking at her like she's crazy, and she's just being Buffy. Exactly. She's just doing what she knows how to do. And I mean, I kind of liked Buffy in this episode. I like the fact that she's confident enough in herself now that she's trying to impress them and all that stuff, but she's still going to do it her way. I mean, Buffy knows how to handle herself in a fight. She knows what she's doing. And there's that whole scene where they're almost like testing her out, right? Like they, they throw her out there and let the commandos track her. And then she beats the crap out of them in less than a minute. Much to the surprise of Walsh and everyone else, yes. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, not a surprise to us, though, because how many times have we seen Buffy go in the middle of this? Even this season, Brian, she dropped in on Sunday and her gang and took care of them in no time. You know, I mean, that that's something Buffy would know how to do. But it is neat to, to introduce characters who are a a new audience to all of this. Like, they have no idea what a, what power a Slayer really has. And... Quite honestly, they're, even Buffy's underestimating really how in control of all of this she is. She's grown a lot as a slayer. Yeah, she really has, and, and I agree. We know everything that goes on here, but it is it is very nice to see kind of... The Initiative has no clue what a slayer is, or what powers that they have, and they're quite impressed by the fact that Buffy handles herself against you know three grown men who have had full military training with virtual ease and and they're congratulating her actually on it and i think that's kind of cool and walsh is just like i doesn't even know what to say exactly i mean she and i think walsh represents the initiative's view here I mean, we talked about this earlier on in our retrospectives brian that the, the kind of the point of this season seems to be this idea of the magical world versus the scientific world or the spiritual versus the science, you know, and that, that age old debate and the science is always trying to explain everything away and come up with reasons. And sometimes stuff is just the way it is because that's the way it is. And for somebody like Walsh, that just doesn't jive. And especially in the package of Buffy, you know, this semi airheaded blonde chick, who can just kick everybody's ass in the room with ease. It just doesn't jive for her. How did this girl get to be the chosen one? And you hear them refer to, well, we've heard of the Slayer and stuff, so they're obviously aware of it, but it's almost like they don't believe it. Almost like an atheist who maybe is really into science and logic would review like the Bible or any other religion. You know, they're really skeptical of it. And, they, and even in seeing it, they still don't believe it. Well, and they've basically said up until now they thought it was just a a fairy tale, uh, a folklore that was told to demons to scare them like the boogeyman was to us as kids, you know. They've always thought that that was what it was. So, yeah, they're still skeptical. But I think the other thing, too, you got to look at here, Jay, is that if you look at the initiative, it's made up of all male people. There's only males in the initiative uh, task force. So to have a female come out and just take care of all these men is something that they aren't expecting, and it goes against everything that they've built this initiative on. So I think that's really kind of interesting, too. Well, is there another female in the initiative besides Walsh? I don't believe so. Well, there may be some other doctors, but no one in the troop. Yeah, no, none of the troops, like you say. And even Walsh as a female is not the typical, excuse me, <clears throat> 
Even Walsh as a female character is not the typical female character. She's really strong-willed. She's she's kind of manly and very forceful in a lot of ways. You know, these guys snap to her orders immediately. You know, she has ultimate authority over all of them. And so for this this bonafide girl to roll in the room that possesses all this strength, speed, and power and can just outdo all of their technology does blow them away. That's not the only thing Buffy gets to do here, though. I mean... It, a lot of this episode is also about the relationship or the eroding relationship with her friends. You know, she's blowing them off a lot. She's eh, making more time for Riley and the initiative than she is the old gang. And that goes against what you've seen Buffy try to do. Remember back to the episode pangs? Well, what was the whole point there? She was trying to get everybody together for Thanksgiving. Well, now everybody seems to want to get together and Buffy's not really available. Yeah, it's interesting, but I think the, the difference is, or the problem is, is that the initiative are finally paying attention to her, giving her things to do and all that stuff. And the rest of the gang, is kind of split so much that they really don't have a focus and especially now that the initiative is what it, they know what the initiative is you know before the focus was figure out who these commandos are now they know what else can they do spike's not evil he's not going to hurt them anymore right they don't have a focus yet uh in this season we haven't met the big bad, so to say, um, of this season. So there's nothing for her to focus on as far as the gang goes. But now this initiative thing gives her something more to do. And it's the new thing, too. And like you say, I think there's a change in relationships going on here. I mean, Xander still doesn't really know what he is in the world besides, you know, migrant worker and Anya's sex slave. Giles doesn't know what he is. And he has that whole scene with Spike where he's finally paying Spike off for helping him out when he was changed into the demon. And Spike tells him clearly, I don't want to be in your group. I don't want to hang out with you guys. I don't want any help from y'all. Leave me alone. And you know, so Spike wants nothing to do with him. Willow has met this new person, Tara, and is really interested in her, but nobody else has met Tara yet. So, I mean, everybody's kind of got their own thing going, and they're all going in different directions. And while they say, oh, we're all going to get together, eh, they're never really doing it. And then now what happens your freshman year of college if you, you still, you know, keep up with any of your high school friends? Yeah, we'll get together, and you just never do. And I think that's just a, a natural human thing that they have going on on the show with our characters is as much as we want them together, there's really no place for it. They all need to go and grow in these opposite directions. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head with that metaphor of, you know, you always talk about how you're going to get together with all your high school friends, but once you actually get into the college scene and you start getting into the cliques that you get into, it makes it harder and you just kind of forget about it and uh, things come up. But, you know, the the whole scene where they're meeting at the bronze and, and Buffy shows up with the rest of the initiative uh, with her to, to hang out while Willow has told Tara that she's not going to bring her with because it's just a them thing. So it kind of makes Willow feel awkward and yet Buffy, you know, just basically rubs it off like it's no big deal. And then of course she gets called away right away with a little pager she's now gotten from the initiative and so it doesn't last and <laughs> it's just bizarre. Let's talk about the pager. Remember when those were cool? <laughs> I do. I used to have one all the way, all the way up until my freshman year of uh, college when I finally got a cell phone for the first time. <laughs> 
Uh, you're more advanced than me, man. I had a pager when I was out of college, uh, really till I got in about halfway through grad school. I gave that thing up and got it to a cell phone. But uh, yeah, I, got, I remember those, and they they were all as big as Buffy's. They're like the size of a garage door opener, and you know that uh, you had to carry quarters around all the time. Back when a payphone existed, kids, and uh, yeah. there were little boxes that phone you put quarters in. But anyway, yeah, yeah, I, they that, still that was a nice exist little, in certain places. They do, they do, but not in the same form. But you know, it's it's funny to look at something that's eleven, or excuse me, it's funny to look at something that's twelve years old and think about how dated some of the technology is in it. Yeah, but we've gone a long way in the last decade. It's amazing how fast technology has grown. I mean, if you look at some of these things, these things were huge deals back in this day. I mean, this was huge for us as as you and I growing up and going through our high school and college days. This was the way the world was. And now to look at it, you're just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we used to carry this beeper around. And every time we get paged by someone, they'd leave something like 911 if it was urgent or whatever. And then sometimes they'd leave funny words on your pager. And I mean... You had to rush to a phone. Pagers were the original Twitter. Yeah, kind of. They kind of were. It, it, it was the yeah, yeah. It was the only way to get a hold of someone because you know long distance existed there. You know now you can call anywhere in the United States yeah. and it's free. Back then you had to pay to call the next city. <laughs> I mean it was ridiculous. Oh, oh how I remember those bills. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, aside from the technology and stuff, though. Buffy's really the central piece of this whole episode because she's really thrown between the two stories that are going on. The, and, and part of the story is the one with her, her friends is the fact that she's not really there as much for them and that they're learning to be reliant without her. You know, we'll get to that in a little bit, but the biggest piece is her relationship with the initiative. And I don't know. I mean, what did you think about? I, I thought it was a bit of a snap judgment that Walsh decided, nope, she's got to die. I was like, that seemed a little fast. Like, we did, I almost wanted them to stretch that out for a couple of episodes. But I guess they realized, well, hey, we're at midseason. We need to do the betrayal. And, I mean, that's the Buffy formula, right? And that's what this is supposed to represent. But it seemed a little rushed to me. How about you? Yeah, I think it seemed quite rushed myself. You know, she she's been known to the initiative now for at least a few episodes. So that's been going on. But now she's finally been given full access to their facilities. Uh, she's got her own security clearance and everything else. So why go through all that trouble if all you want to do is, is kill her off right away? It just seems kind of like a big waste of time. Well, let me ask you this. What is it that you think drives Walsh over the edge? Because I think I know. It, it's easy. It's that Buffy's asking way too many questions. Nobody asks questions. They just do. And she knows if Buffy keeps asking questions, she's going to figure out something's not on the up and up. And she needs to get rid of it because it's a threat to the project. Well, she's already heard her ask about 314, which is the thing that's not on the up and up, as it were. So she knows that. But I think it's a couple other things, too. I really think it's the night with Riley that she watches that seals the deal. Because what she sees is that Buffy has more influence and control and is exerting more control over him because of their relationship together than Walsh can have. And that is something she cannot abide. She cannot let someone get her number one guy off track. Because who knows what kind of chaos that could happen. And Buffy herself... Because she is magical and she works in that realm and she's intuitive and unorthodox is impossible to predict. And if you're a scientist, 
that's the first thing you try to remove is any element that's impossible to predict. So I bought it. I think that that's what center over the edge. I just think they could have stretched that out a, a little longer. And I think that would have been an interesting story, don't you? Yeah, I think so, too. I think they should have stretched it out a little longer. But again, like you said, we're already at midpoint of the season. we got to get things moving along. We haven't really figured out what's going to be the big bad. I mean, you get some inklings that maybe the initiative is going to be the big bad. But you don't know for sure. You know, Maggie is definitely got some role in the big bad you're, you're looking at how they've been building the 314 thing up so uh, you know i i do i agree though i think it would have been nice to start this maybe a little earlier and build it up before they kind of went for the kill switch but i don't know it, it does seem weird and i agree with your whole concept of of uh, her being upset with riley she's a psychology teacher right so she knows that once you lose control of your subject, it's hard to get that back. And if someone's interfering with that, there's two thi- two people pulling on e- different ends of the rope, you know, and it's who's going to win. You don't know. You can't. You got to eliminate your competition. Exactly. And then the whole setup of how she tries to kill Buffy, she sends her down to the sewer and it's basically to, to take on a couple of demons that Buffy's seen him working on in the lab. And they show up and Buffy's equipment, of course, fails because her electronic, you know, taser gun or whatever doesn't work and her video falls off and you think Buffy's been thwarted and I, I love it. It's such a weird turn of character though for Professor Walsh when she starts explaining to Riley oh Buffy's been killed. I did all I could do. I was like you're not acting like yourself. You're acting kind of weird. And that, that to me threw me off. I was like she she would have been much more cold about that. Tim, I'm sorry but she was eliminated in the field of duty. You know, And you would have shut the video off. It's almost like she was in too big of a hurry. I disagree because she's a psychology teacher. She knows how she has to break the news. She's not going to be cold about it, right? She's trying to make sure Riley still looks up to her as a mentor. She's not going to be cold. She's going to do it right. But, but the thing that I really liked about that whole play is that she's sending her after what could be a disturbance or could just be a raccoon. And so she sends her <laughs> into this field and Buffy figures it out right away when she recognizes that the two demons were two demons that were being worked on in the lab, which I thought was genius how they how they did that. She knows right away when she sees those demons and the cages lock and her weapon misfire that she's been set up. And now she needs to take these guys out and let Walsh know that she knows as well. And I like that. I thought that was done very well. The best part of it is when Buffy grabs the camera and you know gets her attention and then lays that line on her. You'll know you're about to find out what a slayer really is, and I I didn't know what she meant at that point, but I was like, Ooh, somebody's about to get messed up. Because <laughs> if there's one thing we've learned in three years of this show is you, you don't betray Buffy, because when you do, there is hell to pay, and she will bring it down on you. And I I'm wondering what's that going to mean, you know, as a viewer, I'm I'm going, well, what, what's going? How can you take revenge against the government institution, you know, what uh, if you feel betrayed, but it, it's coming, you know, and, and that sends Walsh into another, like, ranting tailspin. That's the thing about Professor Walsh in this, this episode. We never really get to see her be personable like this. And she goes and then she reveals Adam and she's like having this whole conversation with him. 
You know, and it's just an odd moment of character because, again, she's been so stoic. That's why I expected her to be cold. But you're right to call it out that that would be the way she would do it. And uh, what'd you think of her death scene? You know, the whole, like I said, the whole ranting and raving, you know, to Adam about the plans and creation, and then he sticks her. Yeah, I was actually taken aback by that. I didn't expect her to get killed off so quickly. And, you know, the. This is one of the seasons that I've only seen twice through now. And so this is my third time going through it. And I, f- I forget how, what the sequence sometimes of these things and how quickly these events happen. And I'm kind of shocked that this is coming up so fast. I thought maybe it would last a little longer. But even so, um, I, my question is, why would Adam kill her? And more than likely, it's just that, oops, didn't know I had these pulgare demon stakes in my arm and they just kind of went off whoops but no big deal because i have no feelings yeah i don't know i mean we'll know more about adam in the coming episode so i i I, you can't speculate you're left on the hanger with this and that's the point is that you're you're left going oh she's dead now what you know and there's all all these other big things have happened buffy and riley have slept together and the initiative has essentially betrayed buffy now you've also seen another thing happen spike has got shot by a tracer dart because the commandos have figured out he's on the loose and they're trying to catch him and he goes to giles and the gang for help and they basically dig the thing out of him and flush it down the commode so the group has now taken a stand against the initiative you've got all these elements these disparate elements happening and it's the, the initiative is essentially betraying everybody in the same episode and or that's what we're supposed to believe, I think. And I don't know how well that's executed because again, it all feels like it's on fast forward. This feels like something they could have done in some of those wasteful episodes that we, you know, have blown through here in this retrospective, Brian. Don't you think? I mean, this this could have been something that would have been a great three episode swing. Well, I, they could have definitely paced it out a little more, probably. But I don't think I think they they covered a lot of things that probably need to be covered. Uh, we know Spike's not going anywhere, so they have to bring him back somehow into the fold and keep him in the storyline. So what better way than to oh, see him wandering about, tra- hit him with a tracker dart, and of course he only knows one place to go. And so you have the rest of the gang kind of doing something, which is basically trying to get the tracker out of Spike, which is really all they're there for in this episode. It's kind of lame, but it's something for them to do. And the main arc is Buffy and the initiative and how that goes down. So, I don't know. I kind of like that they gave the other group something to do that was still kind of storyline related, but really you're just supposed to pay attention to what's going on between Buffy, Riley, and Walsh. Good point. Good point. That's really where we're going. And they, like we said, they leave us on that hanger of, well, Adam's killed Walsh. Who's Adam and why did he kill her? Well, we'll have to stay tuned to find out. So, well, Brian, we're at the point of the podcast where we give our dustings rating for the episode. So what's your dustings rating for season four, episode 13, the I and team? Well, for me, I thought this was kind of, a, it was a good episode. Uh, there was a lot of extracurricular stuff that probably didn't need to be there, but there was good extracurricular stuff in there as well. You got a little bit more on Tara and, and Willow's uh, Wiccan relationship and how they're moving forward on things there. But then you got to really get into the meat of how Buffy's going to come into this, this uh, initiative group. And you got to see her be part of the commando team and how she doesn't fit in. You know, they didn't give her any fatigues to wear, which I thought was interesting. You, you pointed out that she she was definitely an eyesore in the group as far as standing out um and then they really kind of introduced to us what this big bad was more so than they have in the past we kind of had a feeling that we knew what was going on they were 
collecting demons for something. Now you actually got to see surgery going on in this, whatever you want to call it, where they're putting the arms on the, on the Adam or this, Adam, I don't even, do they, yeah, she mentions it's Adam. They're putting arms, the demon arms on Adam. So, you know, it's, they're trying to experiment with, with hybrid demonology or something. I thought it was a good episode and I thought it really gave us some substance finally to what's going to happen in this season. It may not be the greatest substance, but at least it's substance. So for me, it's a three dusting. Well, I agree with you, Brian. There's a lot of important stuff that happens here in relation to this season. But the fact that it all seems to be crunched into about seven minutes of the episode while all this other stuff happens bugs me a little bit. And I feel like they, the, the writers and the producers of the show are trying to play catch up because they've done so much setup that they feel like they got to get somewhere. So now they're going to get somewhere in a whole lot of damn hurry. And they go a lot of places at once. And while some of it's interesting and intriguing, it's not terribly satisfying. I mean, I said that before when the initiative was revealed that I felt like it was a little bit of a letdown. And the more that gets revealed about this, it's eh, still a little bit more of a letdown. I, I did like the fact that Buffy is showing to, or is demonstrating the fact that she is a strong, independent, much more confident person than maybe she's been in the past. But other than that, a lot of this leaves me hanging and not for the right reason. So I'm going to give it a two dustings. It's not bad, but it's still not great. Um, I'm wanting more, but I'm intrigued enough that I want to push on, so I'm going to give it two dustings for this episode. Thank you for tuning in to this latest episode of The Art of Slaying, our Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective. You can find more episodes in the archive section of our website, theartofslaying.com. You can also find links to our social media pages. You can find links to our film podcast, Filmstrip, where you can peruse through the archives of some of the movies we've reviewed and also read our latest feature from our fellow movie podcaster, Nick, Nick's Picks, where he does some reviews of the television shows he watches. Tons of content for you. You can find us on iTunes. Leave us a review. We really appreciate that. And most of all, we appreciate your listenership and support. So until next time, for Brian, I'm Jay. Thanks for tuning in to The Art of Slayer. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the copyright of Fox Television Studios, and any discussion of the characters, episodes, or music is strictly for entertainment purposes only. 